Chapter 35, Monday, December 2nd, 1776. I had to wait three days to sneak up to the prison. My chance came when Madame received an invitation from a friend who had moved into an abandoned rebel mansion in Greenwich Village, north of the city line. Madame smiled in triumph as she read the note, then told me to clean her best shoes. After the midday meal, the soldier wives helped Lady Seymour and Madame into the carriage. I brought out foot warmers filled with hot coals and heavy blankets to lay over the women from the air was crackling and cold. The driver snapped the whip above the heads of the horses and the carriage rolled away. The soldier wives waited until it was out of sight, then dashed off to visit their own friends. When they were gone, the house stood empty for the first time in months. I lined my shoes and cap with newspaper to keep out the wind and emptied the leftovers hiding under the holly bush into a bucket that I covered with an old rag. I stood across the street from the Bridwell prison and pondered hard. Don't do this. Don't do this. All around the commons, folks went on their business. Soldiers rubbing the cold out of their fingers, women wrapped in long cloaks and thick shawls. They walked over the ground where the gallows had been built last summer, where they hung the traitor Hickey. Back in August, the Patriots had torn it down to use the wood for the barricades. The British had built their own hangman's platform at the opposite end of the commons. It could kill three people at a time. The ashes in my soul stirred. Don't do this. Men stood at the windows of the prison, calling out to those who passed by. Few folk looked in their direction, pretending that the noise came from the throats of the crows circling overhead. Go back. Tis not your affair. The whispers in my brain pan grew louder as I crossed the street. Madam will beat you bloody. He's not your concern. It's not your place. Go back. Go back before it's too late. The crows cawed and wheeled and beat their shiny black wings against the wind-shaped, wind-whipped clouds. They saw everything. I stopped in front of the iron-studded oak door and frowned. He freed me from the stalks. He's my friend, my only friend. With that, the ashes settled and shushed. My arm lifted light as a feather, and I pounded the door knocker. A giant guard opened up. What do you want? he growled. He looked like he had been fashioned by setting boulders atop boulders. His hands were iron mallets and his face rough carved out of granite. He was a mountain clothed in a lo lobster back uniform. Nothing do gooder, he grunted. When I explained my mission, he lifted the corner of the rag that covered my bucket and sniffed. You got anything tasty in there? Scraps, sir. The mistress normally feeds them to the pigs, but she's a good soul and told me to bring them for the prisoners. I lied. He grunted, peered into the bucket, and poked through it with a finger. Rice pudding? Yes, sir. The guard crossed the room, took a bowl down from a shelf, and used a spoon to dish the rice pudding from the bucket. And you're kin to this boy you seek, he asked. My older brother, sir, I lied. Always was a stubborn cuss. Made Mama cry herself to sleep at night. Why ain't your mother here then?
She's dead, sir. That much was true. The guard was more interested in rice pudding than my patchwork story. He shoveled several spoonfuls in his mouth and chewed while looking me over. Come on, then, he said, taking a ring of keys from a hook on the wall. I'll give you a little time. The sound of his key turning in the lock brought back my time in the city hall dungeon with the madwoman and the rats. Despite the cold, a trickle of sweat inched down my backbone. We walked down a hall lined with four doors on each side and at the end, a staircase. He stopped at the last door on the right and unlocked it. Yeah, we go in, he said. The cell was little bigger than the one I had been confined in. It was filled with men and boys milling around like nervous cattle herded into a goat pen. There was no fire burning, nay, not even a hearth where it could burn. A short man dressed in black peered out of the cell's one window, stuck in the middle of the outside wall. The man's collar was flipped up to protect his neck. His hat was pulled down and his hands were stuck in his armpits for warmth. The window had bars across it, but no glass. It was an empty hole open to the rain, wind, and snow. All turned to stare as we entered. Girl, come to see your brother, the guard said. Excuse me, sir, I said as he stated to close the door. What about my bucket? He smiled. Needs further inspection. No one said anything, nor moved until the guard finished relocking the door and his footsteps echoed down the hall. You'll be wanting him in the corner, said the short man by the window. Show her. A few of the prisoners stepped to the side, so I could see a bundle of rags on the floor. Corson was lying on the stones, with no blankets covering him nor a pallet under him, not even a straw. His leg was still wrapped in the bloody bandage. His lips were dry and cracked. He clutched his hat in one hand. I crouched next to him, unsure what to do. The soldiers around us grew tired of staring and returned to their low conversating. I leaned close to figure if he was breathing. Finally, I put my lips to his ear. Are you dead? I whispered. He answered without moving. No country are you. I near jumped out of my skin. Carson, his eyes opened slow, bloodshot and bleary. Can you sit up? I asked. Suppose so. I held him upright. He winced and leaned against the wall, shaking with chills. Here, I untied my heavy cloak and laid it over him. He protested. You don't have to. I interrupted him. Hush. Do you get, did you get shot? He pulled his clo- cloak up under his chin and shivered again. In the leg. My luck held, though. Bullet went in and out, fair clean. Didn't break the bone. He stopped as a man nearby broke into a fit of coughing. I sat next to him. Was it awful? I asked. He closed his eyes and shook his head. You don't want to know. Yes, I do. When the redcoats invaded, he started. We raced up the island to the fort, figured we'd hold there for months, then drive them from the city come spring when our forces would be stronger. Ha, spat the man closest to us. He rolled over to face the wall. Did you shoot a gun? I asked. 
mostly dug ditches and carried rocks. The soldiers, they worked alongside us, and they drilled to get ready. When the battle finally started, the men fired their guns so fast the barrels grew hot. The cannon smoke was thick as fog. I saw the most horrid sights, country, not fit for the eyes of any person. He swallowed hard. I wound up next to a militia boy from Connecticut. He just learned to shave and was a poor hand at it, razor cuts all over his chin. Said he was worried his pa was mad at him on account of he didn't make it home for the apple harvest like he promised. He fell silent for a moment, then continued. So this boy, he had two muskets, one on his own, the other from a fellow who died on Long Island. When the Hessians came to at us, the boy would shoot one gun whilst I reloaded the other. We continued thus loading and shooting, loading and shooting half the day. The British moved their small cannons up the hill and took aim, but I loaded, he shot. He paused to wipe his eyes on his sleeve. As I handed him his gun, a cannonball tipped his head from his body. We sat without a word. The ashes within me swirled and filled up my throat again. Around us, men muttered low and coughed. Kirsten let his tears run. After that, I shot the guns for myself, took the bullet in my leg, but kept firing. An hour or so later, Colonel McGall surrounded the fort. He laid down our weapons and walked out. The British called for our officers. We walked forward and we feared they'd be shot. Were they? I asked. Not hardly, he said up a little straighter. Officers get special treatment on account of their considered gentlemen. They have patrol to walk around the city. They live in the boarding houses and eat regular. The man who forced the wall muttered a stir of curses that echoed against the stones. He said every kind of bad word imaginable about officers, gentlemen, the war, the British, and the Congress. And he cursed himself for leaving his wife and farm in Maryland. Kirsten's tears dried, leaving a thin trail of salt down his cheeks. You should go home now. Before I ask one of a hundred questions, the key turned to the lock and the guard appeared. He stuck out my bucket. Inspection complete, he said, wiping a smear of butter off the side of his face. I stood, walked to the door, and looked in the bucket. Half of the food was gone. May I stay a little longer, I asked. Sing out when you need me, the guard said with an unsettling wink. As soon as the door was relocked, a man with powder burns on his face snatched the bucket from my hands. I'll take that, he snarled. I held tight to the handle and shouted, Give it back! The man grabbed my arm, his fingers like the claws of a panther. Enough, shouted a powerful voice. The cell fell silent like a tomb. The short man, dressed in black, limped over to us from his post at the window. Release that bucket, Privet Dibden, he ordered. The thief did as he was asked, but crossed his arms over his chest and stood his, gr- his ground. She brought food for the black boy, Sergeant, he complained. Tain't right for the slave to eat while we starve. The tiny sergeant stood motionless. Somewhere water was dripping. No one here will starve as long as I have breath, 
He turned to me. Excuse the poor manners, miss, but we've not eaten for three days. Hungry men are sometimes rude. I understand, I said. Would you be willing to share what you've brought? He asked. We would all be most grateful. I looked the sergeant in the eye. He wasn't much taller than me. There's not enough to feed everyone. I know that, miss, but we're all equally hungry. Don't fuss, country, Kirsten asked. We fought together. We'll eat together. Outside, a heavy cart rolled down Broadway, the driver calling to his horses. There was an argument from the cell on the other side of the wall and a thump from the one above. I handed the bucket to Curson. The nasty man dug his claws into my shoulder. The sergeant goes first. I waited for him to release me, fighting the urge to bite his wrist down to the bone. Once he let go, I gave the bucket to the sergeant. He looked inside and pulled out a piece of pie crust, the length of my finger. He handed the bucket to Curson, who removed a long parsnip peel. The bucket made its way around the room at a snail's pace as each man studied the contents and chose a small portion of discarded potato or bread or gristle. When it was returned to me, I was confuddled. There's still food in here, I said. These are fine men, the sergeant said with pride. Each took his portion without stealing from the next. Mind if we send it round again? No, sir. As the bucket went down the line again, the sergeant motioned for me to stand with him close to the wall. I wonder if I might ask a favor. What kind of favor, I asked. We need to pass messages to our captain. He'll be able to get word of the city. Some of the other women folk who bring food to the prisoners are helping in this manner. I can't spy for you. No, no, not a spy, simply a message carrier. You come by here, I drop a word or two in your ear, and you pass it along. It will put me in danger. It's a way for you to continue our fight for freedom. The bucket was moving more quickly the second time around. I cannot, sir. I was not fool enough to let the patriots hurt me again. The key sounded in the lock as the bucket returned to my hands, wiped empty this time. The guard entered. Curson struggled to his feet and handed me my cloak. Here. No, I said, you keep it. As soon as I fell asleep, it would be borrowed. Little sister, bring it to the next time you come. I wrapped the <clears throat> warm cloak around my shoulders and was struck with a sudden notion. I pulled the newspaper out of, from my cap and quickly removed the pages lining my shoes. Can you use this? Hurry up, said the guard. Curson smiled. Just what I need for bed, he said. Go home now. I nodded, grateful to be leaving, and heavy with guilt. You'll be here when I return. Don't plan on leaving any time soon, he said. And that's the end of chapter 35.